go. For more information and tickets, please visit dancemission.com or call 415-826-4441. These shows are a benefit for Dance Brigade's community outreach programs in what is left of the mission. And you are listening to 94.1 FM KPFA here in Berkeley and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. It is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for a Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I've caught my earring in in my headphones. It's rattling. (laughs) Anyway, got that off. Oh, begin, begin with a mistake. I always do. Today is the 31st of December, 2013. It's almost over. Been a bumpy year, at least for some of us. I think, uh... We have to be hopeful because by midnight, everything is going to change. You know, there's going to be what is called a paradigm shift. Everything is going to get sensible and real and beautiful. Never mind the hell with it. I think, uh, I have to, I have to read this book, Evolution, the one that was being discussed on the program just before just before me here, and I think that stuff is so fascinating. I just, I ache with the thought that here I am at 80, and I've wasted my life being a culture vulture when I could have been an anthropologist. When I was a college girl, I remember writing in my diaries and journals that... I hid them in my closet, but I was gone for the summer, and my father found them, and he read them, and I had opined in these uh, journals that he must, of course, be mostly Neanderthal on account of because <laughs> it was impossible, and uh, he, as you may imagine, was a little cross, uh, threw me out on my ear, as a matter of fact, uh, I I think that's sort of sad. I was trying to be funny, but uh, apparently nowadays all of us have uh, uh, just a few little genes, something in there. Uh, I like that book, The Clan of the Cave Bear. That's the one that, uh, oh, maybe kids in middle school might enjoy. Uh, it um, presumes that there was... I guess what we call commingling or crossbreeding. Uh, anyway, um, this year I am determined to focus on 
feminism. I got a letter the other day from someone who told me that I was neglecting the cause of women. I tried to explain how unfashionable it was even to use the word feminism. <laughs> you know, I am, of course, one of those who, uh, well, I suffered from pronoun envy for years. What my problem was, of course, was the predominance of uh, male writers in the literature. Uh, those male writers, of course, are suffering from Venus envy, but round and round it goes, folks. Uh, the truth is that feminism, to me, is so vast, so monumental a subject that it encompasses everything that we can think about and talk about. Um, in any case, today I want to start with poems. I think the main thing to be done, I was thinking the other day how short time is, and uh, half an hour is not enough to really get into uh, philosophical philosophical ideas, so many things that we, you know, we need a whole semester, but bits and pieces of poetry seem to me to synthesize what women are all about. Uh, I love the biographies of all the great women writers, my literary saints. I have their pictures in my uh, rooms. I think of them all the time as members of my family and I think, I think that's okay. It may be a little pretentious, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I can argue with Gertrude Stein and I can ask Emily Bronte, please, 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 not to be so hard on herself. You know, the kind of thing. Uh, the other night, I put a list on my wall. Let's see. All the books that led me to or pointed me toward images of what we're still calling the great mother, the goddess. Uh, and, of course, it was every movie or book or story that I knew as a child. And the funny thing is, the very first one, I was six years old, the very first one was the grandmother in the story, The Little Match Girl, if you can believe that. You remember the... Uh, heartbreaking and some people say incredibly sentimental tale of the death of a child uh, she's trying to sell her matches in the street she can't go home because she would be beaten for not uh, selling any matches and uh, it's Christmas Eve and she lights the matches in order to stay warm and in that light she sees an image of her grandmother the only person ever loved her and of course the image grows larger and uh, lifts the child into the other world in the morning they find a little girl frozen and Hans Christian Andersen was very good at that sort of thing it's gone out of fashion of course but <laughs> it still gets to me uh, I remember doing my masters in all of the uh, what is it? The women writers, but also in the characters that they drew. Uh, sometimes I got them all mixed up. I didn't know, you know, where George Sand ended and her uh, heroines began. The same thing with Emily Bronte and 
Jane Austen and all the rest. Uh, they are my constant companions. Uh, last night I was looking for something, let's see, is making lists of women who are still alive. Sometimes I think it might be better if we concentrated on those who are still living, you know, because we can, <laughs> we can send them emails and write to them. Uh, I found something in a little book. Carolyn Gage is a playwright with whom I am acquainted, and she wrote a little collection of essays or meditations for women leaving patriarchy, and she called it like there's no tomorrow. And she did a very good job of selecting, uh, you call it the, the kind of, um, kind of tidbits that, uh, you can send to your friends. Let's see, here's one by Olive Schreiner that I like very, very much. A young woman the other day was asking me what she should be reading. She wanted to read uh, something about feminism, but uh, when I recommended a certain book, she said, oh, oh, will that make me hate men? And I said, for God's sakes, no, it will make you love freedom. <laughs> and uh, I gave her this this little, uh, this it's about a half a page, a little paragraph from Olive Schreiner. And uh, I read it to you now. I saw a woman sleeping. In her sleep, she dreamt life stood before her and held in each hand a gift. In the one hand, love. In the other hand, freedom. She said to the woman, choose, and the woman waited long. Finally, she said, Freedom, and life said, Thou hast well chosen. If thou hadst said love, I would have given thee that thou didst ask for, and I would have gone from thee and returned to thee no more. Now the day will come when I shall return. In that day, I shall bear both gifts in one hand. I heard the woman laugh in her sleep. <laughs> Carol Engage writes wonderful plays. And uh, these little meditations, they're terrific. Uh, there's a picture on the cover of a woman breaking her chains. <laughs> Carolyn told me that when they put together the design for the cover, uh, the woman was rather uh, musty, breasty. She asked that they <laughs> that they they take out some of the cleavage. It was a battle, yes, a battle for the book cover. Uh, it's very funny. The issues don't change very much. Uh, anyway. I think what I'll do today, first of all, is talk about, oh, a little bit about this image, this image thing. Uh, I was thinking yesterday, I was watching a movie called Saving Mr. Banks about the uh, the writer P.L. Travers, 
the woman who wrote the stories of Mary Poppins, and I was thinking about images, about, you know, these characters in fiction, Mary Poppins, an amazing image when you think about it. Uh, the movie I found disappointing, it was not, actually had nothing to do with the Mary Poppins stories exactly. P.L. Travers was an Australian woman. She took the name Travers. It was her father's first name. T-R-A... Let's see, no. Uh, T-R-A-V-E-R-S. Travers. P.L. Travers. Her name was Pamela. Anyway, uh, she did this as an homage, I suppose. Uh, the film is basically about her alcoholic father. It's a, a beautiful role. Colin Farrell plays the father, and that was very moving. I liked what he did with the role. The rest of it uh, seemed to me to be stitched together. What's that? You know, made by a committee, like a you know camel. Yes, it it needed uh, it needed some thought. I have no idea why Emma Thompson. Uh, persists. She uh, she seems to me to be uh, well. Let's say let's say she's very much preoccupied with the role of the nanny. She has a little child called Jane, of course. And ever since Sense and Sensibility, she's been one of my idols. But uh, her nanny McPhee movies with uh, Colin Firth have a certain appeal, but there's certainly nothing like as ironic or charming as the Mary Poppins stories. Uh, in any case, I don't want to spoil it for you because a lot of people will really enjoy saving Mr. Banks. Uh, it is kind of a revelation, I think, that uh, Tom Hanks got away with murder as the character of Mr. Disney, Walt Disney. I think Walt Disney was... Uh, mm -hmm. Not precisely, not precisely evil, but uh, I, I have been always very angry with what he did to, oh, say, Hans Christian Andersen's works. But enough of that. All that I cannot love, I leave alone. Let somebody else worry about that. Anyway, uh, saving Mr. Banks is of some interest to those of you who are fascinated by the lives of our great writers. I would put this movie, Saving Mr. Banks, on the shelf with the movie about Stevie Smith. You remember that one with Glenda Jackson? It's a number of wonderful books about, uh, let's call them reclusive, uh, the women who wrote, oh, well, let's see, I guess my favorite has to be Beatrix Potter, who wrote the Peter Rabbit books. Uh, Interesting, interesting, and uh, I suppose the the most scandalous example would be the man, Lewis Carroll, who wrote the Alice in Wonderland books. But never mind, once again, free association is my downfall. I'm jumping right here to a pile of poems that I'm so fond of. Let's see, I have two that I want to read to you. Yes, just right off the bat. I found a book the other day called Love's Witness, Five Centuries of Love Poetry by Women. Now, it's very interesting to find an anthology that is uh, limited to the work of women, 
uh, Elizabeth I. Queen Elizabeth I is included here. <laughs> she leaves something to be desired. Uh, not bad, not bad, but uh, this is really the kind of book that I, I put at the head of my bed to look at a little bit at a time over several years. I just wanted to give you some snippets. Uh, see, the editor, uh, let's see, this book is come compiled by Jill Hollis, H-O-L-L-I-S. It's called Love's Witness, Five Centuries of Love Poetry by Women. There are short bios in the back to give you some idea who these writers are in case you want to look up uh, their other works. It's full of, naturally, Emily Dickinson, Christina Rossetti, all the usual suspects. But here's one by... Uh, Edith Sitwell, just a few lines. Edith Sitwell, born 1887, 1964. She died 1964. Hmm. She's the sort of British poet that's usually made fun of. <laughs> Here's just a line or two. The poem is called Heart and Mind. You remember uh, Jefferson, that era in the 18th century when they fought over the head or the heart, which is it to be? Edith Sitwell writes, said the sun to the moon, when you are but a lonely white crone and I a dead king in my golden armor somewhere in a dark wood. Remember only this of our hopeless love, that never till time is done will the fire of the heart and the fire of the mind be one. Gotcha, yes. Edna St. Vincent Millay used to have a, a wonderful time with that one, yes. She spoke of the fire between the eyes and fire between the thighs. You know the sort of thing. Anyway, let's see. There's one more here that I wanted to share with you. I will try to go easy on the poetry because, as you know, reading poetry, you kind of need the the script in front of you. You need to be able to see the words on the page to review them. I notice this when I go to poetry readings, and sometimes I ask the poets if they would please give me the the uh, the words on the page as well. Uh, here's Emily Bronte, born eighteen eighteen, died eighteen forty eight, almost thirty thirty years she had on this earth. It's from a poem called Silent is the House. Come, the wind may never again blow as now it blows for us and the stars may never again shine as now they shine. Long before October returns, seas of blood 
will have parted us, and you must crush the love in your heart, and I the love in mine. I have a long poem here by Emily Dickinson about the voice of the tyrant. I believe she's speaking of her father, but I'll get into that some other time. <laughs> yes. I think um, I do worry about that young woman who keeps, uh, her words keep echoing in my head, you know. She thinks that any study of feminism will take away from the love she might feel for uh, some man, anyway. I was down on the avenue, Telegraph Avenue, about a week ago, and walking around looking at places that Oh, they go back 50 years in my lifetime, or more, actually, even more. And I thought of uh, all the history that has gone down. I have a long poem of my own called Many Thousands Gone. I may get to that, but first I want to read to you, yes. <laughs> oh, time passing so fast to read to you a poem that... Uh, is by Algernon Swinburne, <laughs> born 1837, died 1909, I believe. Algernon was put away in the bughouse. No, actually, I think he was simply, um, ah, what is the word? Uh, he was given over to the care of someone who understood that he was uh, mad and who took care of him in his old age. Algernon Swinburne was, I guess, the, the height of romanticism. His work is uh, certainly very florid, but I have always loved all of his poems about Persephone. Uh, and here is one he has written to a uh, Germanic earth goddess called Hertha. And uh, it's a very ancient goddess. I think most of the Celtic goddesses, I remember, um, had a different quality in the movie, come to think of it, um, Saving Mr. Banks. We learned that this alcoholic father of P.L. Travers, his name being Travers, suffers from the Celtic imagination, the Celtic belief system. For one thing, he despises money. Yes, the great god Moloch, he has no use for. Anyway, it's a mythos with which I'm very familiar. Anyway, here's Algernon Charles Swinburne's poem about Hertha, a Germanic earth goddess. I put it on the shelf with my Emily Bronte uh, references to Chthonic gods or earth gods. Um, I think, now, Emily was only half Irish, but <laughs> her father's half. Anyway, here we go with Swinburne. Hertha. I am that which began out of me the years roll. Out of me, God and man, I am equal and whole. 
God changes, and man, and the form of them bodily, I am the soul. Before ever land was, before ever the sea, or soft hair of the grass, or fair limbs of the tree, or the flesh-colored fruit of my branches, I was, and thy soul was in me. First life on my sources first drifted and swam out of me are the forces that save it or damn. Out of me, man and woman and wild beast and bird, before God was, I am. I sent that poem once to um, a creationist and asked what they thought of all of that. <laughs> I got back a rather unhappy letter, but then, never mind, uh, Algernon Swinburne. What a fella he was. Uh, he kind of went to pieces sometimes, and I could never figure out whether it was from rapture and ecstasy or despair. Uh, what is it he wrote? Yes, he says, all death and all life and all rains and all ruins drop through me as sands. Now, I think he got it. Poets sometimes do, you know, of course. Uh, society or, you know, they, them, they put them away. The last 30 years of his life were spent under the care of a guardian. Back in the day when I was a young woman at Mills College, I remember Algernon Swinburne as one of the voices that seemed to be speaking my language. He knew what it is that patriarchal religions do to our human spirit. He writes, Thou hast conquered, O pale Galilean. The world has grown gray from thy breath. Eros denied. I still love Swinburne's hymn to Proserpine, in which he laments the coming of Christianity. He writes, Wilt thou yet take all Galilean, but these thou shalt not take, the laurel, the palms, and then the breast of the nymphs in the break. I have lived long enough, having seen one thing, that love hath an end. Goddess and maiden and queen, be near me now and befriend. Of course, we know that the voice of the goddess has never been stilled. It is in every human heart. In our own dark age, we're overrun with the sociopaths, you know, 
Most of them are in the media game, overrun with psychotic, aberrant behavior on the part of those humans who have lost touch with the mother. That is to say, they have lost touch with themselves. They even go to psychiatrists to learn how to feel, how to find themselves. And maybe next time I'll be able to finish this piece. It's about how poets and good souls simply go nuts. <laughs> yes, the goddess nuts simply go nuts in order to uh, escape the world in which most of us have to exist today. This has been Jennifer Stone uh, with Stone's Throw. Have a glorious new year. Until next week, go easy. And if you can't go easy, what the hell, don't go. Hey everyone, this is Mitch Jesserich with Letters and Politics. Hope you are doing well at the end of the year and have a great idea for the beginning of the year. And that is, come with me to see economist Richard Wolf, author of Capitalism Hits the Fan. He's going to be speaking at the First Congregational Church of Berkeley on Wednesday, January 15th at 7.30 p.m. His topic will be economic crisis and system decline, what we can do. If you're familiar with Richard Wolf, well, then you know that you can expect original, reassuringly trustworthy analysis delivered in a blunt style laced with refreshing wit. I'll be introducing Richard Wolf. It's a KPFA benefit, and it is wheelchair accessible. The church is at 2345 Channing. That's just off Dana. Advanced tickets are available at brownpapertickets.com and at our supportive independent bookstores. That's January 15th. Richard Wolf. Hope to see you.